0: Good morning everyone, welcome to our service this morning, it's good to see you all here I I, um, thought you might like the heating on this morning, yeah it's a bit chilly isn't it but don't worry yourselves it's supposed to warm up the end of the week and be a balmy 17 degrees with a bit of sun, autumn is coming, wonderful, okay I'm going to ask you a question this morning, it's a simple question is there anything you've had to work hard at this week? Or has anyone done any work this week? Or is there something you found particularly difficult and you've had to put in a bit of hard work? I was going to give you a couple of minutes, but you know. Comrade, yes! I built something really small and I found that not only do I have to wear my glasses, but I also have to use a magnifying <laughs> glass. Oh dear. You built something really small and you're now having to use glasses and a magnifying glass. Oh, no. That's a bit scary. What have you done? Yeah, difficult, reading, difficult reading. Was that school at home? A bit of both? <laughs> you sent your book home for seven-year-olds? How old are you? Five. Five? Oh. That is hard work, a book for seven-year-olds and you're five. You nearly read one whole page, Well, well done you, very good. Anyone else done anything hard this week? Oh yes, Miranda, go ahead. Reading music for piano. Sounds very easy, doesn't it? Learning to read music—that's a bit tricky, isn't it? John, what have you done? I climbed Skiddaw on Tuesday. You climbed Skiddaw mountain on Tuesday. Was that wet windy. wet, windy, cold? Yeah. And strenuous, but I bet you felt good at the end, didn't you? Oh. There was a pause. My knees and my back hurt. Brilliant. Oh yeah, Emma. Your niece went to university and you're worried. It's hard. There's a lot of hard things that we have to do. And also a lot of things that we have to work hard at to make them succeed. And, you know, I was thinking about this and thinking, but when we gather together and we share communion, which we're going to do this morning, when we think about what Jesus has done for us, we think about something that has been given to us freely. We haven't had to work hard for it. We haven't had to graft. We haven't had to try and get over something that's really difficult. We've been offered new life freely by Jesus. There's a passage in the Bible from the book of Romans, which hopefully will appear on the screen in a moment. And it says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life In Christ Jesus our Lord, it's a gift, it's a present, it's freely given to every single one of us. New life. We may have worked hard this week, but we come today to receive something free that we can all accept. Well, last week we began a new series on the book of Ephesians, which we will continue this week. Last week we looked at the first three verses. This week we're looking at verses 3 to 14. So settle in. I'm joking, it won't be long. Um, and let's have a read. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Now, I advise you to concentrate because it took me about six readings of these verses and, you know, still was confusing. So let's go for it. until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Clear? I'm not an English teacher, but I sometimes wonder whether Paul's sentences are a little bit too long. But who am I? Anyhow. I want to um, take you back to 2013. It wasn't that long ago, although, you know, time passes very quickly, doesn't it? 2013 in this country, and the Tories were in coalition power with the Lib Dems. Seems quite a long time ago, doesn't it? They'd been in power for three years, following 13 years of a Labour government. David Cameron had become Prime Minister in 2010, and his deputy was Nick Clegg. And by 2013, the initial glow of election victory had begun to fade. Austerity didn't seem to be working. And suddenly, this slogan here started to appear in the Tory party. For hard-working people, this became the tagline that was around. It was a picture that you saw in the newspapers, and it was accompanied by the rhetoric. If you work hard and you do the right thing... You will get rewarded. I can't tell you the number of times I heard this. For people who work hard and do the right thing, there will be rewards. Or if you like, it's a picture and an ethos which pushed forward the age-old adage, hard work pays off, which resulted in a series of statements and eventually a 2015 manifesto around this which at the heart of it seemed to say that what people need to do to succeed in life, to make our country better, to ensure life works for them, is work hard. And if you work hard and do the right thing, then life will be good. You will get the rewards. The country will be better. And what you put in will come back to benefit you. If you work hard and you do the right thing you get rewarded. And you know, it's not that this was a new Tory brainchild, a new direction that was suddenly thought up by the Tory think tank as they headed towards the general election. In fact, it wasn't new at all, as I'm sure we all recognise, because the ethos of hard work pays off has forever been instilled in us, in our culture. The American dream That understanding that anyone, whatever background, whatever family, whatever situation they come from, can achieve whatever they want has been around for centuries. But to achieve this, there is also an understanding that you need to work hard. You need to do the right thing. And then, when you've done that, you can be whatever you want. These benefits will come to you. Which, you know, isn't an inherently bad understanding to have. I mean, after all... Uh, hard work has seen a lot of things happen in the world huge things have taken place because people have put hard work in but I guess deep deep down this rhetoric this story of life makes me feel very uncomfortable because for a start it's not always true hard work doesn't always pay off people don't always get what they want after working hard for the whole of their lives Doing the right thing doesn't always mean that life turns out good in our world. And throw into the mix the fact that we all make mistakes, that we're all a little bit lazy at times, and that sometimes life will throw us a curveball, which means we can't work hard, and we can't, we struggle to do the right thing. Then this understanding of life, well, it starts to fall apart. Until instead of succeeding with our hard work, we find ourselves struggling more and working more, and putting ourselves under more and more pressure. So this ethos of hard work pays off, rather than bringing rewards, brings problems and difficulties and a huge amount of stress. Which is why I believe there is a better ethos. There is a different manifesto. There is a larger story. One that encompasses everyone whether we're able to work hard or not. A story that's bigger than any political party or organisation or country. A real story that brings true freedom and true reward. is a story that comes from God. And you know, it's the story Paul describes in that very confusing passage that we read a moment ago. And the reason this story is so wonderful is because it's a story that is counter to all that we see around us today. One that instead of speaking of work and right living, those values that demand so much of us and are so difficult to do, it speaks of grace and love and rescue and inheritance, those things which are given freely. In fact, in reference to us, to humanity, there's not a hint of hard work in this story that God tells. There's no demand to do anything resembling work or good deeds. On the contrary, in reference to us, the people God has created, there is only a call to receive, to accept, to live out something that has already been given to us. You see, this story that Paul describes in the first 14 verses of the letter to the Ephesians is a story that turns our world on its head. It's a way of being that is unimaginable in the climate in which we live. Because it's a story we could never think up. A story instigated and fulfilled by God himself. And what's so amazing is that it's not just his story, but it's our story. It's a story for you and me. It's a history that we are invited to live from. And it begins in verse 4 of the letter to Ephesians. Before the creation of the world. It begins with God, who by his grace and his love and his desire, before the creation of the world, chose us, human beings, his people, to be holy and blameless. In his sight. Or if you like, it begins with God offering an undeserved status, something we could never work for, something we could never have, something he desired us to be. It begins with God so full of grace and love that he couldn't help but lavish goodness upon us, choosing quite undeservedly to declare us holy, blameless, worthy. And he didn't do it because we'd worked for it and he thought that's a good reward. He didn't do it because we tried to be good enough and we just made the grade. He didn't even do it because we showed any interest at all. He did it before we were even here, before we were even created. This was God's desire. He made this wonderful decision to love humanity and to create his people without expecting anything from us first. Which is amazing. And it's not something which I think I really know how to do, or maybe any of us really know how to do. But then when he had chosen to do this, he unbelievably made this choice possible by sending Jesus, who willingly came to fulfil this plan, that we might be forgiven, that we might be set free, that we might be the people God had always intended us to be. He sent Jesus, who came to live among us, who immersed himself in our pain and our life and our situation until the time was right for him to turn the world's ethos upside down and show that actually God loves everyone. Not just those who work hard and do the right thing, but actually God wants everyone. So much so that he was going to make it possible by dying a criminal's death on a cross. So that humanity, people, those who were heading for death, those who God had chosen before the beginning of the world, might instead be able to live. Or as Paul says here in verse 7, so that in him we might have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Or if you like, Jesus came to show us what our real story was. It wasn't us working hard, doing the right thing, making all the effort. It was him coming to fulfil that criteria so that we undeservedly might get all the reward this is the Christian story. I'm sure most of us know it in one form or another because it's the heart of our faith. It's the centre of what we believe. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that we celebrated this morning in communion at this table. But as Paul describes it here in the letter to the Ephesians, it's also our history. It's where we have come from as the people of God, not just a nice story that we dip in and out of on a Sunday, but our history, where we live from. It's not through an ethos of work hard, do the right thing, get the reward, but through through an ethos of chosen, freed, forgiven that we are called to live. No longer are people who need to work for acceptance or do the right thing for forgiveness or buy our way into the good graces of God but instead of people who have had the riches of God's grace lavished upon us until we can hardly stand for its wonderful weight. And you know what's so amazing is that this act of God, this wonderful story of God's grace and love, wasn't carried out begrudgingly, you know, oh, they've messed up again, we better do something about it. Let's go and rescue them. You know, it wasn't carried out as something God thought he had to do. It was carried out with excitement and joy. At least this is how Paul portrays it in this passage with the words that he uses. As if God could barely contain himself as he outpoured this love and grace so that it tumbled upon us again and again and again. Do you know, it reminds me a little bit of when... um, My eldest son, James, was in preschool and he'd been at preschool for a year and he'd really enjoyed it. And he was just four and he was going to school the next year. And so at the end of the year, he bought a present for his key worker, for the person who had helped him and looked after him. And that was a lady called Julie. And he picked this present himself, which we thought at the time was great. Um, And so he chose a lunchbox because she's going to need a lunchbox. And he chose a little picture because she liked to hang a picture on her wall. And then we wrapped it up and uh, we took it in. And we took it in at the beginning of the day and James was so excited, had this present in his hand and he just walked up to Julie, barged past everyone else, not bothered, handed it to her. It's for you. I she went, oh, James, that's lovely. Thank you so much. And then she carried on talking and he was like, you could see him like this. And he went, it's a present. And she went, oh, yes, well, thank you, thank you. And he went... It's a lunchbox and it's a picture. And she was like, oh, that's really nice. And I went, you're not supposed to really tell people, but it's fine. Julie will open it. And he went, can you open it? And she went, I'll do it in a minute. And then he started tearing off the paper. So Julie had to open it and look at it and make the appropriate noises because there was just no option. You see, he was so excited about what he'd done and how he was going to give this to her. that He just couldn't wait for her to have it. And this is the feeling we get from this wonderful passage, albeit a bit confusing with the big words and everything. This is the feeling we have. The exciting history of where we have come from. A God who so loved us that he could contain this love no longer. Here we are. Look, look, look what I've got for you. This is what Paul is saying. But along with this, we also get a glimpse of where we are going. An understanding that God has not simply done all these things in the past, but he's also promised us an inheritance. That one day, when the time is right, God, having loved us and freed us, will also give us an inheritance of the world, brought to completion in Jesus Christ. One day when all is made right, our inheritance will be heaven and earth in perfect harmony with God reigning at the centre of all. God's kingdom come. And as a foretaste, as a sign, as a deposit of this wonderful inheritance, God has placed in us his Holy Spirit Not only to help us to live in new and amazing ways, not only to empower our lives and enable us to change, but so that we might be a sign of what is to come. God, here and now, living among his people as one day he will face to face. You see, this larger story is so counter to our culture and the culture of the world Because it's something that God has done. He took the initiative. He made it possible. He gave us his spirit. And one day he will renew all things. And we have had to give nothing. Which is why when we fully comprehend this story, we really should desire to give everything. There's a famous story about an American Civil War uh, northerner who had bought a young girl at a slave auction. Very common, of course, then it was. And as he left the auction, the man turned to the girl and he said, you're free. And she turned to him in amazement and she went, what do you mean, you've just bought me? And he says, I've bought you because I want you to be free. And she said, well, I'm free to do whatever I want. He said, yes. She said, and to say whatever I want. And he said, yes, anything. And to be whatever I want to be. And he said, yes. And even go wherever I want to go. He laughed and he said, yes, you're free. You're free to do whatever you like. I bought you so you could be free. And she looked at him and she replied, then I want to go with you. And, you know, in the same way, when we hear the story of how God has come and God has worked and God has done all that needs to be done that we might live freely, when we hear our history and see our future, not only does it free us from the restraints of the world, but it should also provoke in us a desire to worship, to say, well, I want to go with you then because you have given me the best I could have. It should also give us a desire to give everything we have for as long as we live to the God who has given everything to us. So as we go from here, may we know the grace of God in our lives. May we know the love of God surrounding us and whatever we face, whether it be something we're dreading or something we're looking forward to. May we always have the story of God in our hearts. And may God bless us and keep us and walk with us. Amen. Please be seated.